All right, let's take our Bibles for this afternoon's service and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 4. The book of Mark, chapter 4. My intention this afternoon is really to have a reminding ministry to us. A reminding ministry that what the Lord does desire in our hearts and in our lives is fruitfulness. And that fruitfulness will depend on how we hear the words of God that are being sown to us. And so I want to read here concerning the parable, what is commonly known as the parable of the sower. And I want to read beginning in Mark chapter 4, verse 1 down through verse 23. And he began to teach again by the sea, that is the Lord, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. The birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell by the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he kept saying to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables so that while seeing they may, they may see and not perceive and while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. Who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. 
These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, a hundredfold. <clears throat> and he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? It is not brought to be put, is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him what? Let him hear. When Jesus was giving these parables, it expressed a distinct turn in his ministry. Part of him giving it in parables to the people was because a parable-like ministry was God's judgment upon the unbelieving multitudes and the unbelieving religious leaders. A parable, in spite of what you might have heard preached, but a parable is a ministry to hide and withhold. In other words, if I was just to read Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 8 to you, and said, we are dismissed, would you understand the spiritual impact of what I was trying to communicate? The answer to that is probably what? Probably not. You would have just thought I was talking about farmers and sowing seed and tilled ground and fruit coming up. In other words, you wouldn't get the spiritual import of what was going on here. Now, they could have asked the Lord, could they not have? They could have asked the Lord, but I would imagine that in the overwhelming majority of cases, they did not do that. And the reason for this judgment to hide and withhold spiritual truth about the kingdom of God from the nation of Israel is because of this fact. These people had repeatedly heard, but had repeatedly rejected. Everybody see that? You can go all the way back to the foundation of this nation as they come out of Egypt and that hardening and rejection even happened when Moses came down from the mount, encountered them worshiping a calf named Baal and worshiping Baal under the guise of worshiping Jehovah. They had heard the word of Moses, had they not? And yet they repeatedly rejected the one true and living God. And that rejection just telescoped throughout the years. It went into the prophet Isaiah, unto the prophet Jeremiah, into captivity in Babylon through Ezekiel, even through all what we call the minor prophets, all the way to Malachi. There was just this continual stubbornness of heart and not bringing forth fruit for the glory of God. And then Christ came. And folks, if there ever was a perfect witness 
Isaiah was not a perfect witness. Jeremiah was not a perfect witness in the sense of they were fallen men, right? But our Lord was not a fallen man. He was the God of glory from heaven taking on human personality. And here he is expounding the scripture, expounding with the kingdom of God, declaring that he's the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, healing all who were diseased, healing and casting out demons out of the people, and yet even to this place where the whole town of Capernaum was completely healed of any illness. Can you imagine that? And yet, not only the religious leaders, but even the people of that day rejected his message. It wasn't that they rejected the benefits that he gave. They wanted the multiplied food, didn't they? They wanted the, as it were, the healing. They even wanted to be delivered from Rome. But what they did not want deliverance from was from their own ungodly wickedness and sin. So there came a place in that rejection by that nation that Jesus began to speak in parables in order to hide and withhold truth from the nation. And now hear me. But to reveal and make it known to his disciples. And that's exactly what's happening here, right? Because look down at verse 10 of Mark chapter 4. It says, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with who? The disciples or the twelve. So did the disciples understand? No, they didn't understand what the message was at this point. Even his followers didn't understand the meaning of the message. But Jesus, in verse 13 of Mark chapter 4, he does explain the parable to his disciples, doesn't he? Not just the twelve, but also to the followers that were following him. In fact, he says at another place that to you has been given, what it says in verse 11, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside, everything comes to them in what? In parables. Everybody see that? And so folks, what the Lord is doing here is giving to us something that you and I need to understand and something that even Christ himself encountered. And that was this, that when it comes to the Word of God, it's all about how you hear and what the soil of your heart is like. Everybody see that? Okay. When our Lord preached, was He a perfect preacher? Yes. I'm sure people criticized Him, but He was a perfect preacher. He always said the right things, didn't He? He always gave to them the Word of God. Every word He spoke was inspiration. It was God-breathed at that time. Perfect preacher. Did He have rejection? He did have rejection. And in fact, folks, you remember that when He met and told His followers to meet Him at the Mount in Galilee, 
at the end of Matthew chapter 28, it says how many were there? About how many? 500 met him there. Now folks, would you have expected, I'm going to use a modern phrase, wouldn't you have expected after three years of seeing what Jesus did, you would have expected a mega church to show up? But it was only about 500 hundred people and the bible says that even some of them were doubters that's amazing isn't it and folks should it be any different for you and me we are not perfect testifiers and folks if the one who was perfect in his witness who always was perfectly reflective of everything about God his Father, if he had these things happen to him, what about us? It probably will happen to who? It probably will happen to us also. In fact, if we are being conformed in his image, it really does make sense that the same things that would happen to him would happen to us. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more he, they will call who? Us. And so it's all about <clears throat> how you hear and how you understand. In other words, brethren, there is a way to hear where you will get no reception from the Word of God in your soul. There is a way to hear that the Word will take no root in your soul. There is a way to hear that will choke the Word so that it doesn't bear any fruit. And there is a way to hear that it does bring forth what? Fruit. Everybody see that? This is what our Lord is trying to communicate to us. And folks, nobody, nobody is born a good hearer. <laughs> we all have to develop, I'm going to call it a skill. We all have to develop this skill to hear God in the pages of our Bibles. We're not born that way, and folks, every parent knows this. If I was to ask parents, did, when your children were born, did they just grow up a good, quiet listener? The answer to that is what? Absolutely not. You have to teach them to sit when you read them a story, yes? You have to teach them to listen to that story. You have to teach them how to think about the story. This is something even lost people have to be taught how much more the people of God. And folks, this is a major problem within the church. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of that book in that sermon, and it is a sermon, he calls it a word of exhortation, in that sermon, in Hebrews chapter 5, he says this, You have been with the Lord enough that you ought to be teachers, but you have need to be taught the very elemental things about God. Why? 
You are sluggish. You are lazy listeners, hearers. Everybody see that? When we're a lazy hearer, that means there is no growth in our maturity. And it means that you have to keep going over and over and over and over again the things that you have already taught. You know this with your children. If you've taught them something age four, and you, you have to keep repeating it, don't you parents? Okay. But if, at the age 12, if you're still having to repeat it, what's the problem? They haven't listened. Right? And that means more than just acknowledging you said something. That means taking it in, in their heart, and it bringing fruit out of their lives in what they have heard. And folks, what is true for the lost is even more true for the saved and has serious ramifications for us as we sit under the Word of God. It's not, it's not good enough just to be a sermon hearer. Everybody hear what I'm saying? You come to church on Sunday morning, you, you want to hear a Bible message, you want to hear it, expound, it expounded, you really want to know what God says, but that's as far as you go. James talks about this. This is a person who comes to the Word of God like a mirror. And he looks in the mirror, and that Word of God does show him what he's like. But he walks away, forgetting what he's heard. Right? And James exhorts the congregation not to do that, but to be Quick to hear, slow to speak. Everybody hear what I'm saying there? And so when we come to this parable, <clears throat> what we have is four different types of soil. You have in <clears throat> verse 4, you have seed falling beside the road. In verse 5, you have seed falling on rocky ground or stony ground. In verse 7, you have seed falling among the thorns. <clears throat> and lastly, in verse 8, you have good soil. Now folks, when we're talking about the soils, we're talking about something along these lines in every person's heart. <clears throat> Wayside hearts have hearts that are hard. In other words, there's no broken soil for which the seed to get down into that soil to germinate. And you've met people like that, right? Hard hearts, stubborn neck. Do they hear what you say? Yes, but it just doesn't go anywhere with them. Then you have the stony heart. And what we have here is that the hardness of heart lies under a shallow soil that is broken. It's enough for the seed to get down into the soil, right? 
But it's not enough for when that seed sprouts the root, it's not deep enough, that root goes down and quickly encounters hardness in that person's heart. And then in the thorns you have, oh, you have a heart and it does receive the seed. Does the seed take root? The answer to that is yes. And does the plant come up? The answer to that is yes. But there are other plants there that end up choking that seed and it bears no what? No fruit, no crop for the farmer. And of course you know the last is that you have the soil that is ready for the Word of God and it grows and not only does it grow up, it increases and it brings forth fruit. And it says in verse 8, 30, 60, 100 fold. And folks, you know how that works, right? You take one seed, the farmer takes one seed, like a seed of corn, he puts it in the ground, that one seed breaks, lays down roots, a plant comes up, and you're not expecting that plant to just give you one seed, right? Your plans are for that to bring forth a crop multiple corn, and if you took all the seeds out of there, it would be an exceeding increase over the one seed that you planted in the ground. So folks, let's look at this and let's examine ourselves as we look at these soils. I'm looking down here in verse 15 of this chapter. So you have the sower sowing the word. In verse 15, you have the person who has the hardness of heart. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately who comes? Satan comes. Everybody see that? And he snatches away the seed that has been sown in them. Folks, it's amazing, is it not? <clears throat> and of course, Satan is being used both specifically and also as a category. In other words, Satan is not omnipresent. Everybody agree with that? Okay. So if we're here, and let's say we have 50 people in a service, and I'm preaching the Word, he's not, he's not going around to everybody all at the same time snatching the seed. But what we have here is a hearing of a man or a woman, boy or girl, where the evil one is snatching the seed away while the person is listening to the Word of God. In other words, the seed of the Word never, as it were, makes it to engraft itself anywhere. As soon as it's on that hard heart, it's right there on the surface, he immediately, did you read that word? Immediately snatches that seed away. Folks, does that occur? Does that occur when a person's proclaiming the Word of God? It does. I say that with sorrow. Does that occur when you are 
telling your neighbor or your coworker about the gospel or about Christ or you're telling them about a truth you've gotten out of the Bible, does that happen when you're talking to them? The answer to that is it does. And folks, here's the thing. Sometimes we walk away from situations like that and we think that the problem is with us. When the problem is with who? Them. Those who are listening to what you have to say. They don't think they're the problem. They think you're the problem. You didn't present it correctly. You didn't present it tenderly enough. You didn't word it in such a way that I could understand it. What you said is too deep. I can't get anything from it. It's them. (laughs) They're the problem. It's their heart. And folks, what they learn, if they learn anything, they quickly unlearn it. And folks, this can happen very, very quickly. And I, I'm, I'm going to make a statement just to illustrate it, but I'm not, I'm not being like, you know, general or specific. But it, it's like this. It's like, here we have preaching. You have 45, 50 minutes of preaching. The service is dismissed. And you talk to that person, say five minutes Five minutes after the sermon. And they can't remember what was preached. What happened? That seed was immediately snatched away out of that person's heart. I've given you this illustration before, but I'll give it again. It, it, it took self-control. We preached about self-control this morning. It took self-control. We had a in my previous church where I pastored, I had a visiting preacher come in and actually preached. I think it was my home church pastor, but I can't remember for sure. But preached, and what we would do is, you know, the invitation would be given, people would bow their heads, someone would pray to dismiss the service. And while they were praying to dismiss the service, I would kind of walk real quietly to go to the back so that I could greet people on the way out the door. <clears throat> now, we had a visiting preacher. And I'll never forget, <clears throat> this couple walked over to me in all sincerity. And they looked at me and they said, <clears throat> Pastor, you preached a great sermon. Would you agree that might take some self-control? <laughs> Just not to chuckle, right? And I knew, they looked at me right in the eye, I knew they were dead serious. I just said, thank you. (laughs) And they just walked out, and I'm assured that they got how much from the service? Nothing. And it was sad. It was sad that a person can spend, I'm just going to say an hour of their day, listen to a message and five minutes later they can't tell you one thing that was from that message. Folks, children, 
don't be that way. What's being preached is life and death. It's not like I'm just giving you my opinion about things. This is out of your Bible. Who wrote your Bible? Holy men of old spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God, Christ spoke these words and those men wrote those words down for our salvation in this present evil age. Quickly, there is this good ground. I'm just going to skip around here and get to where I want to spend some time. We have the good ground. And of course, this good ground is fruitfulness that comes from the Word that conforms us into the image of Christ. And folks, that fruitfulness, look at verse 20, those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the Word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Brethren, this really is the only acceptable response to the preached word that God accepts. And you know this from reading your Old Testament. God was always looking for fruit from that nation. He expected good grapes, but only got what? Wild. Bitter grapes. And folks, this is what God desires from us. Spurgeon wrote on this message and he said this, and I'm quoting him. He said, For every sermon we hear, we should endeavor to do a hundred gracious, charitable, or self-denying acts. That's a great quote. Our divine sower with such heavenly seed deserves to be rewarded with a glorious harvest. I think he's exactly right with that. He expects us to take the seed, and it does take time, but to bring forth that multiplicity of fruit in the good things, as we will learn in Ephesians, those good works that God has preordained before the foundation of the world that we should walk therein. But what I see most frequently are the other two soils. Now the wayside soil is getting more and more predominant in America, but what I mostly see is the stony soils and the thorny soils. Let's do the thorns first. You'll see this in verse 19. Excuse me, verses 18 and 19. Others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes what? Unfruitful. Now folks, you tell me in the Mark passage, what are the thorns representing? They're representing three things. Can we name the first one? The worries or cares of this world. Are there many? There are many. 
What's the second thorn? The deceitfulness of money or riches. And third is the desires for other things. Folks, there are people who when they hear, they do hear the seed does land in their heart, but there are other things in their heart. There are other things that they have sown in their hearts. They are the worries or cares of this life. And just inwardly, I want you to, in, and don't respond, but just inwardly, I just want you to pause and say, okay, name some cares of this life. Would you say politics is a care of, the, of our nation? Could that be a thorn? That definitely could be a thorn, right? Um, <clears throat> personal advancement at work, could that be a thorn? That definitely could be a thorn. What about the deceitfulness of riches? Could a, someone be and hear the Word of God receive that, they do have a concern about the Bible, but there's other greater concerns making money. Does that happen? It does happen. In other words, folks, what these people are interested in, if I could just sum it up in three things, is the buying, selling, and prosperity in this life. And folks, I just, I just want to say this. <clears throat> Those thorns, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, and did you see the third one? Desires for other things. What do you think the other things are? It is other things other than being fruitful. And that's a lot of things, right? Okay. When the goal of your life is not to allow the Word of God to conform you into the image of Christ as a believer, and that's not your ultimate aim of life, this one thing I do, then you have thorns that will choke the fruitfulness of that world. This type of man does appear wise. He even sits in services. He may even talk about religion. But you hardly will ever see anything of sacrificial love in his life. Talk about politics, they're jabbery. Talk about medicine and health, they'll talk your ear off. Talk about the latest baseball score, they've got them all memorized but they can't memorize the Bible. That's too hard for them. He only does these things to maintain a show in his life. Are there people like that? Are there people like that that you witness to when you witness the Gospel to them? And folks, here's the thing. People like this want a church like this. They want a church that's taken up with politics. 
They want a church that's taken up with buying and selling. Let's have a Sunday school class, five ways to be successful in life. Or as the false prophet Joel Olstein, right? Your best life when? Now. If this is the best life now, we are all men most miserable. If you want to talk to them about their promotion, if you want to have a Christianity that massages all those types of things, their game. But if you talk about this, taking up your cross daily and following me, that's not appealing to them. And that brings us to the second issue or the problem. And folks, this one I think I see most of all presently among religious people, and that is the stony ground. What we have here is here in verse 16 when he says, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary then when affliction or persecution arises because of the what? Because of the word, immediately they fall away. In other places, it's used the word wither. They wither away. (coughs) Folks, there is today a form of Christianity which is no Christianity. That is a Christianity without a cross. Paul warns us about this in the book of Philippians. And when Paul writes about this, he even says, I'm writing it even weeping. Do you hear how distressed he was over this? Because there are those who are enemies. He doesn't say to the gospel. He says to the cross. And then he makes this astonishing statement. Whose God, little g. Now the King James says, whose God is their belly. Now folks, the belly is the inward part of a person where their emotions and desires and feelings flow out of. Their appetites of life. In other words, there are people who do hear the Word. Do they receive it? They do receive it. Is there something in their heart where that seed can go down and lodge in that soil? There is. Is there a root coming out of that seed? Meaning it does want to take root in that person's heart and spring forth and bring forth fruit. The answer to that is yes. But the sun comes up. And the wind blows. And what happens by and by is that that plant, that seed, 
withers. There is no depth of soil. Look in verse 6 and see how the Lord worded it. After the sun had risen, it was scorched. In other words, the plant can't get moisture, right? It's scorched because it had no root. It withered away. Folks, there are multiple places where you can go today and hear about a form of Christianity that has no cross. There's no trouble. There's no cost to that profession of faith. Do you agree with that? We call that the prosperity gospel. Come to Christ and have your family fixed. Come to Christ and be rich. Come to Christ and get that job promotion. Come to Christ and have houses and lands. Come to Christ and have others just immediately see the joy that you have. Come to Christ and it's all happiness. But folks, the problem is is that the New Testament doesn't know anything about that. But would it appeal, and we're here in America, would it appeal to an American? The answer to that is yes. And folks, there are multitudes, and I'm I'm not being judgmental when I say this, I think we all would agree with this, that there are multitudes and multitudes of churches that are suffering averse. Meaning they'll do anything in compromising any shape, fashion, or form as long as they don't suffer for what they say they believe. And folks, that is why years and years ago when the Supreme Court came out with this homosexuality decision, and came out, and I spoke on it for about 90 minutes here in our church, and one of the things someone asked me after the message, they said, surely, surely the churches will not accept that. And I said, they will accept that. And they asked me, why? I said, because they want to be liked by the world. And folks, did that happen? It did happen. And it is happening presently. Our churches are full of suffering, averse people who have made professions of faith in Christ. Now, some of them genuinely know the Lord. I think it's easy for us to be honest about this. There's something in us, in the best of us, that is suffering averse. We're not, we're not people who love pain and love trouble and love crucifixion. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> That's not healthy. But if that happens because of the Word of God, we will struggle to the point that we are willing to accept that if that's what it means. And folks, this is exactly what our Lord later on talks about. Turn over to Mark chapter 8. We're here in the book of Mark. But look in Mark chapter 8. 
<clears throat> this is right after Peter makes his great confession of faith. And <clears throat> then our Lord in verse 31 tells him that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and be killed and after three days rise again. What did Peter think about that type of Christ? Well, he wasn't happy about that. And so Peter took him aside in verse 32 and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine? Have you ever rebuked the Lord? You probably say no, but I would wager that there have been moments where you, you have tried to correct him. And so Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan, verse 33. You are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Everybody see that? Man's interest is suffering adverse. But Christ came into this world to suffer, die, be buried, be risen again, on the third day. And folks, in verse 34, he summoned immediately right after that, <clears throat> immediately right after the rebuke of Peter, he, he summoned the crowd to draw near. Verse 34, and he said, <clears throat> If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. And folks, I've heard that preach like, like that's a second tier of believers. But listen to what he says in verse 35. For, here's one ex reason. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Here's another reason, verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit what? His soul. Everybody see that? This isn't a two-tier Christianity. And then in verse 38, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with holy angels. Brethren, please hear this. We've, we've got to hear properly, right? Christianity is going to cost you something. And let me tell you what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you not doing what you want to do. It's going to cost you not obeying your feelings. That's what denying yourself means, right? I don't want to take up my cross and follow Him in my flesh. But I'm going to have to deny that because this is the will of God. Matthew says, when men revile you and persecute you, leave for joy. For great is your reward in heaven. I haven't gotten to the leaping yet. But Christ is working on me about that attitude. And folks, it's going to take not only the cost of not doing your will and the cost of not obeying your feelings, 
but it's going to cost you your own thoughts about the matter. Does everybody hear that? And the Lord's going to test us on that. When something comes up, I have thoughts about it, do you? When something comes up, I have feelings about it, don't you? When something comes up, I have an opinion, I have a will about that, don't you? You're going to have to deny your will and to deny your feelings and to deny your thoughts and do the will of God and to think God's thoughts after Him and to tell your feelings it's got to line up with the Word of God. Folks, I admit it. I admit this over and over and over again. People who receive the gospel with great delight, I have great encouragement about. But when they start to obey the word of God, and someone shames them for it, someone crosses them for it when it costs them something. What happens? It's not immediate. What happens? It withers. Folks, plants don't wither like that, right? It's a gradual process. And I want to encourage every one of us here, every young person here, no matter what the age, You don't have to like the cross. I don't like the cross. But I have learned through the years that my greatest joy is to glory in the cross. Because what God is doing in me by that cross is eternal. It is shaping and molding me into the image of His dear Son. And that's what I want. (laughs) You say, well, I don't want that. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be molded into the image of this world. Those are our only two choices. No middle ground. So folks, do we need to be careful how we hear? And we can hear, and immediately that word is taken away. And we can hear, and it does land, and it does come up, but we're not willing. We're not willing to suffer. There is a hearing where the thorns of life, you are hearing the Word of God, it is landing in your soul, but during the hearing of it, you're already thinking about what you're distracted about. But I'll tell you who grows. And I'll use the illustration of Pastor Grover and his wife. Some of you have met him. had the privilege of being his pastor for almost ten years. He's in the ministry now. He pastors a church up in Ohio. 
But I'll never forget this. I did not know this for years. He said he and his wife would go home and they would take the sermon, they would eat their dinner, and over that dinner table they would discuss the sermon. And then they would go over it again that afternoon. I'm not telling you necessarily to do that. I'm telling you what they did. You know what the result of that was? They grew by leaps and bounds. Because they planted it, they watered it, they stirred it up. That plant grew, and today is praying for 30, 60, 100 fold in their lives. And folks, I want to be that way. Now, we'll tell you this as I close. How you sow in your heart will be made known. Time will show it. I'm not talking about when you stand before the Lord. I'm talking about in this life. The type of heart you have will be made known because it's never the intent of our Lord to take His Word and put it under a bushel. Right? It's meant to be put on a lampstand so that it can light everything in that room. In other words, it can be seen by other people. That's fruitfulness. If you have a wayside heart or a stony heart or a thorny heart or a good soul heart, it will be seen in time. And others will know it. May God give to every one of you, especially our young people, really burden about our young people, that you as young people will be fruitful, genuine believers for the glory of God. And parents, let us, grandparents, let us be models and examples of this to our young people in our church and to our families that we have, both immediate and extended, for the glory of God. Let's pray.